Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sean and Dave Make Music. I'm Sean Arajo. And I'm Dave Trum. And this month, we've got another great guest, violinist and composer David Brown. We'll be presenting some improvisations that we recorded today, as well as some excerpts of David's recent compositions. So to start things off, here's our first improvisation of the day. Thank you. 
Hi, everybody. This is Dave Trump. I'm here with Sean Arajo, as always, and our Hi, special guys. guest, Dave Brown. Thanks for having me. David Brown. David Brown, yes. We're going to try and make <laughs> the distinctions anything. as best as we can, because we have two Daves in the room. So we've got Dave on my behalf, and then David on David Brown's behalf. Sean and Daves make music. Yes. yes. <laughs> Welcome, David. Thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. We just uh, did a bunch of recording, and um, I know you had some topics you wanted to talk about. What, what would you like to talk about today? Well, I listened to your first couple of shows, and uh, I found it, uh, I, I thought it'd be interesting to discuss the pieces of yours that I know from college. We met in college, uh, and, uh, and, and both Sean and Dave are, uh, in my opinion, on the show, they've been exceptionally modest so far. They're both very, very talented uh, <laughs> composers. And, uh, well, that's why and, we brought you in, to, and, you know, well, <laughs> keep yeah, on to the compliment you. a little bit. Well, and, and, and you impressed upon me, and so I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit uh, about and maybe even play some clips of uh, two specific pieces of yours that came to mind. And I mentioned to you already, Sean, that, that uh, a piece of yours called No Reservations was one of the first pieces I heard of, any, I think, any other composer, student composer, when we were at Westchester University mm. together. Yeah, we were in Composition 1 together. Yeah, and we actually <laughs> wrote uh, solo flute pieces together. Yes. Uh, you, you performed both yours and mine, and yours, uh, No Reservations, involved extended techniques for the for the flute that I had never heard before and uh, in a way it sort of opened up my my uh, my mind to extended techniques for my instrument and other instruments in general uh, I mean you're between uh, singing and playing at the same time and yeah I've got the, a unique the dreaded tongue thrust take that I can do uh, <laughs> a sing a bass line with yeah. my voice and play a high well, it's exceptionally cool yeah and so so it stuck with me for a while and my sister who's a flute player then went on and Perform, she's probably performed she the perform piece that. like yeah, yeah. five or six times by now. Oh, nice. I mean, she's she's programmed it on recitals of hers. That's awesome. So, so she really likes it. Excellent. Um, so yeah, it might might be kind of fun. I mean, you, you hear a lot of those techniques in your improvising. Definitely. As well. Yeah, I'll I'll def we'll definitely insert a clip of that.
And um, do you have any praise for Dave? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's my function here. Um, I, well, actually, yes. And, and, and this is a piece uh, that, that I listened to on my way here because I, I thought I, I was rehearsing with my sister last night. And so she actually has most of your piece memorized. So oh, she nice. actually played a lot of it for me. And I thought, well, the piece that I wanted to talk about of yours was uh, you can close your eyes to reality, but not to memories. Yes. And that, that was, I mean, again, another, another favorite composition of mine and one of the earlier ones that I heard uh, amidst the, amongst the student body. Um, and I think more than anything, that piece uh, opened my mind to your abil one's ability to write within a, uh, a very pleasing, semi-conventional tonal world and create something that is wholly unconventional and, and unique and, uh, and, and also with, with structure and, and direction. And I mean, I was, I, I, I really enjoyed the piece a lot. Thank you. Um, yeah. Very, very melodic, beautiful. What's the instrumentation um, for that one? I'm not familiar with that uh, one. It's piano trio. Oh, okay. Cool. And I got to play that one. Yep. Yeah. Do you have a recording of that we can... Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have oh, one. Very recording. good one. Actually, the, um, nice. the recital, too. Yeah, we, we got multiple. So there's a recording the of, yeah. probably of me playing it. And oh, definitely. Yeah, we could drop we'll, we'll a better that recording one. of the Link Ensemble no, playing we'll, it. We'll drop the newer one, though. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. <laughs> All right, I appreciate that. <laughs> cool. As promised, here's an excerpt of Dave Trum's piece, You Can Close Your Eyes to Reality, But Not to Memories. On this recording, you'll hear David Brown on violin, Jean-B. Lazar on cello, and Daniel Lawson on piano.
Yeah, I think that kind of brings up the interesting thing that we all have this relationship with atonal music and tonal music, and it's kind of a messy relationship at times because I feel like, I mean, going to school for composition, there was pressure. At least I felt pressure to not write tonally. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. And it was certainly different with different, um, you know, comp teachers and and who was teaching me lessons and things. But but I, I certainly felt not free to write whatever I wanted. And now at this point, of course, we are free to sure. write and improvise whatever I wanted. So how has your how has your relationship with tonal music and atonal music evolved? Do you when you sit down to write something, how does that process start? And do you think of that kind of what's your what's your pre planning when you go into a composition? That's kind of my main question, I think. Well I, I think it's important for a composer to write that which he or she most wants to hear. And that's something that's, that's really important to me. And that's, that I, I, it is my endeavor to maintain that as my foundation. And from that's there- that's a great way to be. Well, yeah, yeah and, and, but from there, of course, uh, I try to filter everything I write um, through this lens of, I want to say the unconventional, but uh, really, I typically I, if I if I think of something that I've heard before, or that sounds like something I've heard before, I believe I can improve on it. Sure. And and oftentimes that that <laughs> method uh, involves obscuring it, abstracting it in such a way that it becomes something. Um, I mean, I, I most more often than not write tonal music to begin with, mm-hmm. but but uh, I think that filter helps me create harmony and and a general sound world that is less conventional that is uh um unique to you yeah Yeah. exactly of course yeah i think you're i I haven't heard enough of your music uh i would like to hear all of it but cool thank you (laughs) uh but yeah what what i've heard of yours definitely does have a distinctive sound and i think it's you're right in saying that you know it comes off that way as well where it's very pleasing and um also very rich and it makes you think but not angry <laughs> you know what I mean? it, yes. it's, yeah definitely I, I think when when you're writing or like not you're writing specifically I mean when writing mm-hmm. in the broader sense um I, I find a lot of times that conflict of genre where um there are so many influences where I'll start writing something and I'll have a, a pattern that I really like and then immediately I have to start suppressing the voices in my head that are like what style is that because immediately that's followed by what should you do in that right. style mm. and if uh, for me personally that i always find that very constricting is oftentimes like once i start going down the road of oh this sounds like xyz too early in the writing process then i end up uh feeling like i have to be beholden to different trends or like oh i should go study more of that style before i approach writing the rest of this yeah um whereas oftentimes i think yeah if you just stick to like the question of what do i think sounds good it will be fine. Uh, and oftentimes I think when I write things that are, um, that I'm worried it sounds too commonplace or too, you know what I mean? Um, it sounds just too flat or on its face. It's just kind of like, oh, this kind of sounds like that. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. If I just sit with it and play with it and let it expand, inevitably it ends up going through my own filter, as you were saying. Like, your own personal filter, you can't help affecting things. So right. even if you're worried it sounds too much like something, if you just follow it through and follow your ear, at the end, it's usually indiscernible. The references that you hear, other people don't hear that right, at all. And, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, at uh, at well, well, you were there at at, at Caitlin's and my wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a piece for. Now it, it was not. Um, 
it was this was the premiere actually. I, I wrote a piece for uh, for Caitlin that Kirsten sang, and my mm -hmm. mother accompanied her. It's a soprano and piano, and uh, I included about fifteen, I think fifteen, in my opinion, explicit references to musical moments that Caitlin, <laughs> my wife is a is a mezzo soprano. Yeah. My wife and I have shared um, everything from favorite music of hers to uh, pieces that she's performed, pieces I've written for her or performed with her um and in one really glaring moment i thought her, fav <laughs> her you're gonna laugh at this a lot her favorite movie is titanic and she said she, well she has two favorites she, she loves the lord of the Rings series in titanic and she said oh I, you're writing this piece i hope you sneak in a quote from one of the two movies and i thought i'm gonna try to sneak in that theme the from, from <laughs> Titanic, <laughs> and i did now it's obscured by harmony but it the melody is right yeah. there i was watching her the whole time this was being performed we were standing up there uh and she she was looking at me like why i i don't get it i'm not hearing anything <laughs> she she picked up on none of it and here oh, i am yeah, thinking it one. is so oh, obvious um which is certainly no fault of a of of the trained musician she is it's it's the fact that we i think we often believe i mean we're our own harshest critics for one absolutely and and, and also we we will perceive things that inevitably nobody else will oh yeah yeah i think you're right um and it goes the other way too there are a lot of times people will pick something out that i <laughs> did not hear yeah. or think of at all but like oh this part kind of sounds like this oh yeah you're right, right. You know, actually, on that on that reverse side of things there was um and this ties in uh the piece you can close your eyes that that one um when one of the times that it was one of the times you performed it because it was on one of the comp recitals when we were mm -hmm. um, in undergrad and uh, Van Stiefel had come up to me afterwards and he said, oh, that piece reminds me so much of Arvo Pert. And I had never heard of Arvo Pert before ah. at that point. That was actually what first introduced me to his mm -hmm. music. And, he, and um, now that you say that, I can totally hear it. Right. And especially, I think it's at the beginning and the end. You know, the piece is largely like an A, B, A in terms of the general right, right. shape. And so, well, actually, no, the B has it moments, too. It evolves so yeah. nicely. Though. Thank you. It's yeah. Like... But there's a lot of sp moments where definitely there's a... Uh, yeah, it seems it sounds like a kindred spirit to RFO Parrot. And when when he mentioned that, he was like, "What pieces were you listening to? Like, what was in your head?" And immediately, I just was thinking of the only musical reference that I had where I was like thinking, "Oh, it's like this." Was uh, this one moment that I always kind of described as being kind of like a drunken carousel? It's where the thing's kind of going mm -hmm. off kilter, and that moment was inspired by Fall of Troy, which is like a hardcore screamo band I out of the I West. Remember <laughs> the story, yeah. <laughs> so this uh, specific, they've got this piece called Laces Out, Dan. That is wonderful, but it's it's just it's, hardcore. It's all tritones and screaming, yeah, yeah. and yeah, <laughs> nothing like the piece. But like in my head, when I was trying to grab that crazy. Uh, off-kilter carousel that's what I was channeling and of course at the end the only discern discernible reference somebody's like that sounds like our vampire <laughs> who you've never heard of <laughs> who had never heard of very interesting yeah that's cool alright next up we're gonna listen to two back-to-back -back recordings from today's session the first is a fast-paced two-minute improvisation for flute, violin, and djembe and the second is a more brooding five-minute improvisation and for this one Dave Trump switched over to guitar
Well, the other thing, like you were talking about kind of trusting your instincts and writing what sounds good to you. I think that um, works for us because we've got a very solid foundation of, of, you know, knowledge and we learned we literally went to school to learn how to compose yes <laughs> uh, were you a composition major or were you a performance yes. major but uh, studied performance in grad school but I okay guess. cool um so so yeah like one thing that i would like to know about you david is how did you get to this this point how what was your first experience composing and how old were you did you yeah. have any of this theoretical knowledge that we all have now um or were you just writing what sounded good to you at that point? Uh, well, theoretical knowledge, no. I was lucky to grow up in a musical family. My right. mom's a pianist. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she, I probably began studying piano with her as early as would have been possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then probably not a year after I started playing the violin in third grade at eight years old, I started, okay. I started writing things down started writing little melodies um as i think most violinist composers do in the style of vivaldi <laughs> because vivaldi is every violinist's first favorite composer um and this went on for a couple of years um before i i started actually expanding my 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 interests my listening uh and and yeah, it, I mean, it just, it, it was, it was never much of a conscious decision. I'm going to go write music. It's like, oh, I have this, this great thought. I have to write it down. Um, and then I realized, oh, I could really do something with this. Maybe I should try to structure it a little better. <laughs> sure. I should, I should, I should be analytical in the way that I listen to music. But at this point, I still had no formal training. This was, this probably takes me to about late middle school or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time I was in high school, I started thinking, oh, this is something I could conceivably do in college it's something it's something i'd like to study it's something i find very interesting um i still did not sorry this thing's just annoying i i still um i had no again no formal theory training um but uh but i i i would mimic i would mimic what i what i liked in in other actually my first theory class my first theory training other than the bits and pieces that my mother passed down to me uh came during my first semester of music school in college. Okay. It took Sweet. me that long to, to establish any sort of formal. I mean, I, remember, I, I, I can remember Very um, interesting. Uh, meeting that, with... That blows my mind a little bit, actually, that fact, because you <laughs> came in and your first semester was... You were in my composition class as yeah, well. Yeah. So when I'm thinking of you, like, you're already a uh, half-formed <laughs> composer already or, you know, whatever, wherever you were, you were really just beginning to learn your theory knowledge. Yeah. Wow, really? I mean, well, you, I just, ha- you had a great ear for <laughs> orchestration right off the bat. I just remember from the early pieces that Thank I you. heard of yours, like, um, there's one recording you had from a summer program or something. It was before Westchester. Oh, yes. Oh, I just remember that, that was, yeah. Well, it just, it stuck out to me because it was totally intimidating back at the time when I heard it. And I was like, damn, this sounds so polished. Because really, it was... Um, it was just great. The, the interplay between the instruments, it was really, um, really well finessed. It was very thought out. So well, thank you. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's the performance experience. And, I, and that's yeah. something that I think is great about what you guys do, too. You perform and you compose. And it, right. I mean, <laughs> it, maybe it's just, um, it's, it's just it, maybe it just seems this way. But I, I feel like there are fewer and fewer composers 
who actively perform, actively play an instrument, seek performance opportunities, know what it's like to to sit within an orchestra or a chamber ensemble, or um, or or who would know what's idiomatic for the performer, who would know what's conceivable in performance, <laughs> um, where yeah. stamina is concerned, or where you know, for example, or where 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 a deadline is concerned, um, yeah. and I think. Uh, orchestration is certainly something that benefits from playing in chamber ensembles and that's something yeah. that I, I mean I was much more a violinist than I was a composer up until maybe my senior year of high school and then I thought gotcha. you know what this is I, I, I want to get serious about this hmm. and so I started writing larger scale works and trying to trying to uh, develop structures and which I think is probably the most in my opinion crucial factor in a, in a composition it's, it's structure it's direction um, and, and once I started thinking about that Com- work. Composing yeah. was my life. Yeah, um, yeah. cool. I mean, there, there are times where I, when I've, I felt like I'm more a violinist than a composer, and vice versa. But you know, yeah, I feel like I'm more uh, drawn to the performance side of things. I enjoy the process of of practicing usually more than I prefer enjoy the. But I don't think you need to choose. You know, it's, yeah, you're it's, right. It's, it's great. You know, like, yeah. there's there's a spectrum. You don't have yeah, to be one yeah. or the other. <laughs> right. What you can be a little bit more of a flute player <laughs> right. by your time as a composer. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I, and I just feel like it's, it's too easy to give up on performing. It's so hard. It requires so much maintenance. I mean, I go a couple of days without practicing the violin, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm rusty to the point that an audience would hear it. I think and, you're right. And I think the part of it is that it's intimidating because there are so many other people out there doing the exact same thing. Yeah. There are a lot of people playing those exact same orchestral excerpts. And there, you know, there's always going to be somebody that can play those better than you, but there's not someone who can write your music better than you. Right. And so that's really appealing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, you could conceivably be the greatest composer on earth. You to know. a couple of people, yeah. you know, um, you could be. I have fairly... a couple of really diehard fans. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. absolutely. But, right. but it, you know, in all seriousness, you could be you could be fairly objective about uh, about performers about, about performing. I mean, this this player right. is clearly superior to that one because um, there's there's they're more... in tune and right. they're well, they play better in yeah. tune. Well, I mean, again, at, at the high level, everyone plays perfectly. Right, but well, but, but, but who, who plays and the, right? Yeah. Well, and and, and who who uh, is capable of delivering an interesting interpretation, which is another discussion entirely especially exactly. in today's world yeah but um but I, yeah for sure i think and this is something that's very attractive to me about composing it, it is certainly from a narcissistic standpoint <laughs> it is certainly a better way to stand out um but sure. but but also uh i believe and and some hardcore non-composer performers might argue with me that that composing is a decisively more creative art form than recreating compositions that have exist that already exist and i and i do think there's a there you could you could argue the other way around you could argue for the sake of performing and that and that there's to every, find your every own bit as much right yeah. right i mean you're you're just working with with a, a different canvas you're working with a yeah, different medium totally. um but but in my opinion mm-hmm. starting from scratch <laughs> is 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 the way to go one of the things i loved um in undergrad actually Westchester talk we're keeping yeah, um, we, we uh, I don't yeah. often it's see fine. you guys yeah, it's like, totally this fine. Is a big Westchester <laughs> reunion so that was um, I used to I think it was Hanning Hanning or, or Ralph one of the two um, uh, percussion professors of mine um, 
we used to oftentimes do this rule where uh, if I was learning a marimba solo and there was a section that I just didn't like, they normally first suss out like, okay, does Dave not like it because it's intimidating or does Dave not <laughs> like it because he doesn't like the way this part progresses? And so there's this general rule where it's like, all right, you come to me and you play it 12 times without making a mistake. Show me you can play the written music and I'll let you recompose this section. That's wow. Kind of oh, that's around with that's it. cool. So we did that on a couple different a couple different pieces I That's, remember from uh, Marimba solos where I just you had to prove it to him passage. 12 times that you can play it what? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> 12 yeah. times you had to legitimately come in and play the passage like show that you can do okay. it first because otherwise they, I would have just, accepted three I would <laughs> <laughs> But it was a lot of times it wasn't necessarily because it was a difficult passage. It was because I would be like, oh, okay, you know, I gotcha. it's because like I don't think you need to repeat that spot here, or you, you know, like I will, I will, you know, spout against or not against, but whatever. I'll talk shit about Stokowski sometimes for like <laughs> you know taking other people people's music and then swapping whole sections. But then you know when I'm playing a piece, then I have the same You've temptation. You've got a license. Where I'm yeah. like, I'd really like to just work this around here, and you know, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay, next up, we have a flute and violin duo improvisation between myself and David Brown.
So Dave, tell us about your project Illumin. Certainly. Well, this, this was uh, an idea that Caitlin, my wife, and I had um, probably three, four, four years ago now um, that because we were, well, it's actually quite a long story, but in, in short, we decided to rebel against academia and music. I was thinking I was going to, you know, as soon as I finished my master's, I was going right for that doctoral degree, um, <laughs> became pretty swiftly fed up with the politics uh, involved and, um, and, and the money involved, um, which was a big, big issue for Caitlin. And we decided, you know what, we could be, we could be entirely more ambitious and prolific uh, if, we're, if we're adamant about pursuing something uh, of our own accord. And so conveniently, my mother is a professional pianist. And so the three of us uh, decided to establish a group that we call Illumin um, because we are attempting to shed new light on performance practice and on on lesser known masterworks, new compositions, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, probably the, the, um, the most unique facet of our group is that we attempt to, to trash most uh, so-called classical music performance conventions. I okay. perform in jeans. We don't dim the lights. <laughs> we talk to the audience. We tell them to keep their phones out for the mobile listening guide that I create. Ah, um, you know, we, we, cool. we do a lot of things to try to break down the barriers um, <clears throat> that exist between performers and passive listeners or, or even non-listeners, those who would otherwise contend to hate classical music. Um, but at the same time, we try to appeal to music professors who come to our concerts. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we've, and we've, that had... is an easy thing to say and a hard thing to do right. to appeal to both of those <laughs> right. people. Exactly. <laughs> that... Well, so, so our solution that, you know, maybe, or maybe it doesn't work. You'd have to ask someone that isn't me, <laughs> um, is, is to present, uh, again, great, great masterworks, uh, well-known, lesser known, virtually unknown. Uh, in fact, our, our most recent, at our most recent concert, we performed a piece by an M.E. Genoux, who is a, a late 19th century French composer. Um, I know nothing more about her, except <laughs> that she lived to 30. That's it. We likely gave the American premiere of this piece, oh, wow. because cool. there is no documentation anywhere of its performance, of its... I mean, I How did you through, find it? Was through it several... It started with IMSLP, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> which, which led to uh, an illegible score, which led to a book that led to, a, that, that led to another score that we could read that Sweet. led to extracting some parts and uh, it, well, we, we do, do have to do a lot of, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, you do have to do a lot of arranging. Yeah, that, was, that was the next thing I was yeah. going to say. We're, it is, uh, surprisingly for, for three very conventional instruments slash voice, we're, we're, there's almost the nothing written for us. Um, you know, there are a couple of, of really great pieces um, I mean, I can't actually. I can't think of anything that's famous for all three of us together. But I'd I'd say probably the most well known, which is even a stretch, is the as I mentioned earlier uh, today, the Brahms viola songs, um, which again aren't particularly well known, but at least they're by a well known composer. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's not even for violin, voice, and piano. That's that's sort of what encouraged me to to play more viola. Uh, not that I play much, but. I, I do play once in a while now, yeah. right, right. Um, yeah, so I, I, do, I do some arranging, a lot of research, and we have found a good number of, of great pieces. There's a, a great piece by Spohr, who was uh, an early romantic contemporary of Beethoven's, uh, mm. violinist composer. Vi a lot of violinists know his music. Mm. Not too many other folks do. Uh, wrote for a lot of unusual mixed ensembles. Okay. Um, weird septets and octets. Uh, again, concurrently with Beethoven, which is kind of unfortunate because it's probably why nobody knows him. Right. <laughs> uh, but he wrote this absolutely stunning uh, set of songs 
originally for voice, piano, and obligato violin. And cool. so we found a couple of pieces like that. I've done a lot of arrangements, written a lot of original compositions. Right now we're, we're hosting, actually. And this might be good to say on, on, on your show because I imagine... Uh, the audience, its audiences are mostly composers. We, I think we, so. We, <laughs> we, we, we have a, a, a call for scores competition going on yeah. right now. Um, and uh, in an attempt to... to Generate uh, new music for yeah, the uh, For, for the violin voice piano trio. Very yeah. cool. Um, so we, we, we take on a lot of projects like that to try to, to um, establish ourselves, establish this ensemble as a, as a modern convention. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, and important to note... Uh, his uh, group's competition is a sane competition. Uh, there are some crazy ones out there where they say, like, <laughs> please write a piece for our ensemble to be considered. You guys, right. the prize is that you win the money and then you are commissioned with that money to write a new piece. This is not... Right, yeah. Ah, okay. the, the expectations yeah. are not... Yeah, yeah. Guys, for, for an unconventional you, ensemble like yeah. this, you, you know. understand the needs of a composer when it comes right. to composition. Well, I've applied to enough of these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's yeah, it's it, that. That's the thing. It's right. Oftentimes, you'll find these competitions where they 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 want you to to write something originally for them, and or the parameters for the submission pieces are so so narrow. Yeah, yeah that you would have to if you want to yeah. apply. And then or, they say no previous arranging pro- no previous performances. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So so yeah, they're. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, a bit restrictive. So. We'll be we'll be putting the the uh, the link right up on yeah, on the, definitely. On the, um, oh, wonderful! That's page. great. Yeah. You can talk about it though. Do you have face? You have a Facebook page where yes. people can like you. You've uh, got yeah, a fa- Facebook slash uh, Violin Mezzo Piano. That's our that's our URL, and okay. and our website for Illumin is uh, www.illuminmusic.org, uh, which has information about current concerts. We perform around the southeastern PA area, uh, typically Pottstown, Devon, um, wherever. And uh, any any other news, whether we have a competition or certainly media, you can check out. Sweet. Yeah, great. Now, to give you a taste of Illumin's awesome work, here's a live recording of the trio performing David's composition, A Red Red Rose. This is part of a larger set of comical songs entitled Opposite Day.
I was curious. Do you, uh, do you have a rec- or can you post a recording of that? You were doing the piece in Russia, right, with an orchestra. Oh yes, that would be cool to hear. I haven't, I haven't heard that oh, yet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was another project of mine this year. Um, that was uh, that was actually totally spur of the moment. If you'd told me even, I don't know, two months prior that I was going to be in Moscow and you know writing a piece for an orchestra yeah anyway this is this was an insane <laughs> project um uh, initiated by Ovidio Marinescu who is a, ah, a professor very, that yeah. I think all of us probably had mm-hmm. yep. at Westchester University fabulous conductor world-class cellist oh he played um, one of my pieces at my senior recital it was great that's awesome <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah uh I uh, guilted him into it because none of his students were able to like make it so he's like all yeah, right well, I'll, well yeah. I'll do it but is, is it okay if I get a couple of notes wrong <laughs> said, yeah that's fine and he it. probably didn't <laughs> yeah well this this guy is just is a, a sort of uh, musical renaissance man he does he does it all and and he's ambitious uh, to the nth degree i mean he he is mm-hmm. independently initiating projects left and r- left and right around the world i mean he's in romania as we speak um uh, actually with jambi oh uh, awesome uh, who's yeah. a, a cellist friend of ours from college and uh he approached me in october he's also one of the most affable nice people I've yeah, ever, yeah nicest yeah. people i've ever funny. met funny yeah funny <laughs> as well yeah and he, uh, he he approached me about actually interestingly enough my um, I, I train him at the gym I, I'm a my, my day job is is uh, I'm a, a personal trainer a strength trainer and and a video started visiting my gym which became sort of a great excuse for us to communicate and speak about yeah. our projects and all of a sudden he approached me and said hey uh, I'm collaborating with Haim Abitzer who is a, a trombone, trombone professor at Westchester okay. when we were there um, and uh, he uh, he said we're we're uh, we're looking for American composers to write original works for trombone and orchestra to be performed by Haim and the New Russia State Symphony Orchestra, which is a, a, a relatively new group based in Moscow. And he said, uh, he asked me if I was interested. No parameters whatsoever, except that I had a month and a half to write this thing. <laughs> uh, and that he strongly encouraged me to travel with them. And at this point, you know, <laughs> I yeah. didn't know what to, I, yeah. well, my first thought was, oh my God, how the heck am I going to make this work? I gave it even a, just a little bit of thought that what that, what am I thinking? Yes, yes, yeah, I'll make it right. work. This will happen <laughs> one way or another. And so uh, after about three years married to uh, a mezzo, I've written almost nothing but vocal music because I, you know, <laughs> because of yeah. a lumen, because of her, you know, I, 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 even, even the, the one major uh, commission I received in that, in that time was by the International Opera Theater to write an opera. So I hadn't written any right. purely instrumental music in a long time and I thought I need a really good concept here I mean I was such a purist absolute music <laughs> Brahmsian write whatever comes to mind uh, beforehand now I'm in you know full-blown pr- programmatic mode I yeah. need a libretto yeah <laughs> and so I thought okay um, trombone and orchestra what do I do and so uh, Ovidia mentioned to me that he and Haim had been talking and my reputation for playing Celtic music uh led him to suggest uh, Haim to suggest a video a video oh I hope he writes something with a Celtic music influence and I feel like that's all anyone asks me to do. <laughs> and so I'm a little tired of writing Celtic or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or, or classical music with strong Celtic uh, influence. Even my opera was that, by the way. It's baked in there. Yeah, yeah I was contacted yeah. um, by uh, Karen Sayan, who's the director of the theater. Uh, uh-huh. Brilliant artist. Uh, but wanted, wanted this piece, which was in Italian. The libretto was in Italian, by the way. Um, hmm. Because it, it well, that's a really long story. We'll not even begin to get into it. <laughs> okay. But basically, an Italian <laughs> Italian libretto set to Celtic music, uh, classical music, but Celtic, you know, inspired. Yeah. Right. So I thought, okay, trombone and orchestra. Maybe we take a Celtic subject, and the music is only slightly Celtic. Sure. And so I thought, 
trombone and orchestra that sounds like a legend or a deity. So I looked up, literally Googled, list of uh, Celtic deities. And one of the names <laughs> that came up was Merlin, M-Y-R-D-D-I-N, and, uh, which sounded familiar, Merlin. And sure enough, Merlin was the Welsh figure that inspired Merlin of Arthurian legend. And awesome. so I thought, oh, this is perfect. Said to have been a, a mad prophetic sorcerer who lived in the woods who went crazy <laughs> after the defeat of King Arthur in battle. I thought, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, con- uh, coincidentally, uh, I, someone posted to Facebook a video of a Carnix, which is an Iron Age Celtic battle horn. Around the same time, I thought, whoa, this, is the tr- this yeah, could be the trombone. Yeah. I, was, I have it. The piece is, the piece is all set. So, um, so that's the piece. It's, uh, it's, it's about 16 minutes long. Um, trombone and orchestra representing Merlin, this sort of this madman uh, prophet sorcerer um, who is lamenting the loss of King Arthur, awesome. and uh, and this this orchestra was incredible. Haim oh, was yeah. incredible. Haim and Ovidiu together recorded like uh, five or six of these works with the orchestra within maybe five, four or five days, four hour recording, <laughs> recording sessions each. It was insane. I don't know how they did it. My score is about 500 measures long. There are 165 meter changes. Oh I don't know how, and the orchestra <laughs> read it. I mean, this was, this was a studio orchestra. They, yeah. they yeah. this was a studio recording. They read it the first time when they, you know, when that, they when that session began. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. So I'll, I'll, awesome. I'll send a recording. Um, maybe you could play a clip. Yeah, you'll, you'll be, you'll be amazed to hear how unbelievably dense it is and how, how these musicians could possibly have learned. I mean, and, and Haim, who only had, I mean, his part is ridiculously virtuosic because I knew it was him. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm trying to figure out whose part was harder, his or Ovidius, trying to guide that orchestra. I mean, wait, <laughs> wait till you hear some of these polyrhythms. Um, I mean, I, I was just thinking, oh my God, world-class musicians, <laughs> trombone and no orchestra, limits. No amazing limits. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing, I'm pulling out all the stops. Yeah, That's awesome. and uh, so so it's, it's really an amazing testament to that. So there's, there's going to be a CD coming out. Um, awesome. Uh, Excellent. Uh, uh, my German's not great uh, in that I don't speak German or pronounce <laughs> it, but it's called uh, Neue Kraft Fühlend, which means with renewed strength. And uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a compilation of uh, American works for trombone and orchestra. Um, awesome. Hayam is the soloist, yeah. and Ovidio is the conductor. Okay, cool. All right, so we're now going to take a listen to an excerpt of Merthyn by David Brown for trombone and orchestra. Thank you. 
got one more track for you from today's recording session. The following is a Celtic-style improvisation based on an existing melody by David Brown. Thank you so much for listening to Sean and Dave Make Music. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. If you have any comments or would like to submit an idea or a prompt for us to improvise off of, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sean and Dave Make Music. We'll be back next month with a different guest and some new music. See you then. Bye.